Welcome to the Serious Leisure Podcast, where we bring you fascinating and inspiring stories about engaging with leisure seriously. Episodes feature guests who share with us their struggles and successes with balancing leisure, work and well-being. We reflect on our guests' experiences through the lens of Robert Stebbins' Serious Leisure Perspective, helping us all to reevaluate the place of leisure in our lives. My name is Petia Petrova. I'm your host for today's podcast. I'm joined by our regular podcast contributors, Dr. Sam Elkington and Kat Branch. Sam is from Teesside University. He's also our serious leisure expert. Welcome, Sam. Thanks, Petia. Pleasure to be here as always. We are also, hi, Sam. We're also joined by my colleague, Kat Branch. Kat leads our University of the West of England Centre for Music. Good afternoon, everyone. For those of you new to the podcast, welcome. Thank you for joining us. You may notice that we often abbreviate the University of the West of England to UE. We are very excited today to welcome our podcast guest, Sarah Hale. Sarah is Deputy Head of Department Law at the UE Faculty of Business and Law. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you, Petia. I'm really pleased to be with you. And again, nice to see you, Sam. Uh, for our guests, um, this is the first time Sam and Sarah are meeting each other, um, and um, they have a lot in common, so I'm really looking forward to our discussion today. Before we delve into the meaty part of our chat um, uh, about our serious leisure pursuits, um, I would I would like to Sarah to just introduce herself a little bit and what her current role at UE is as Deputy Head of Department Law. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's an interesting role being Deputy Head of Department. Essentially what it means is that um, I'm working closely with the Head of Department on both the strategic and operational um, delivery for the school. So I work um, with a group of AHODs, so I manage five associate heads of department, and between them they manage approximately 80 to 90 staff uh, within the law school. So my role often sees me um, chairing exam boards, chairing interview panels, uh, doing lots of different projects that are faculty facing, as well as managing sort of the day-to-day -day running of the law school and working towards sort of achieving our goals in line with strategy 2030. So it's quite a diverse role and it's, it takes a lot of sort of juggling, but it's been really enjoyable. And it's something that I think um, it, it, sort of my skill set is well matched to sort of being a deputy and I, I've enjoyed it um, immensely. Now, um, some of our listeners may have already noticed that Sarah is using past tense uh, when she's describing her current role. Um, our professional roles are always an interesting backdrop to our leisure pursuits. However, our talk today with Sarah really transcends uh, serious leisure. Sarah is uh, shortly leaving her impressive um, law role as Deputy Head of Department and taking up a, a role as the national coach for the Wales female netball team. Thus, today we'll explore the link between serious leisure and really holding a number of professional identities that are both quite well advanced in terms of career progression and career development. In any case, when we talk about serious leisure and we have guests, we often start with um, their what we call origin stories. We call them origin stories because some of us, <clears throat> me, watch uh, too many superhero movies. <laughs> so, Sarah, would you just tell us what is your origin story in terms of how you started your involvement with um, Netball and where we currently find you? as far as your netball is a journey is concerned. Yeah, of course. It started very much for me at university. So I was always good at sports. I did multiple sports at school and I was always really interested in um, anything that was sort of 
athletic or competitive and then I managed to um, channel that I guess into my early um, study at university and I was choosing at the time when I was in high school between my interest in sport and my interest in law. I've always wanted to do something in the sphere of law, but I was so athletic. I was so, I did A-level PE. I was so focused on that side of things as well, that it seemed like a, a sensible transition to do a degree that was based in sport as opposed to a law degree at 18. And the reason behind that was I was able to um, achieve sort of scholarships at university if I went down the sports route. I was able to, um, I guess, get a really good degree without being too stretched academically. And that was really the, the driving force behind going to university and pursuing a sports science degree as opposed to a law degree. When I went to university, I was... Um, doing lots of different sports as part of my degree because I had modules that were around sports coaching and I got lo lots of different coaching badges if you like in rugby, badminton, equestrian and netball and at the time I'd started to play netball more seriously at university level and it just so happened that my netball coach at university was my future Wales coach so so she kind of had um two identities, one being university-based, academic, coaching the netball team, and then as an aside, coaching the Welsh netball team. And she just contacted me one day and said, you know, you're really good at netball, you're really athletic. I know you're doing lots of different sports. I was doing athletics uh, um, at the time as well. And she said, I'd really like you to try out for the Wales team. And um, I was successful, so I got selected to play for Wales when I was 18. And the year after that, I went to the Commonwealth Games. So. Um, it was quite a sharp um, entry into netball at the highest level, but one that I, I really enjoyed. And it was at the time when I was studying for my degree and I was working as well at the same time. It was a nice outlet to be able to have a couple of hours a week where I could just enjoy being on the court, training, forget all my worries and troubles and just really enjoy being part of that netball community. Um, I then sort of did a master's level qualification at university as well, again, based in sports science, continued to play netball and started to coach netball at very amateur level, just local club uh, level. And then I sort of played netball for many years, I think about 16 years playing for Wales. And when I retired, I decided that coaching would probably be the next step for me. And the reason I decided to go into coaching was because like most people that have been involved in sport, if you step away from it completely upon retirement, there's a huge gulf in your life because you dedicate. I was dedicating upwards of 25 hours a week to my sport and to have walked away from it completely would have been a huge challenge to me. Um, so I decided that coaching was the next best thing. And so I pursued that alongside my academic career, because by that point, I'd also done a law degree because I was kind of thinking I needed a different challenge. And I'd started a master's in law as well. So I was moving into teaching law um, and doing sort of netball coaching on the side to fill that little void that was there um, after finishing playing. Thanks, Sarah. This is um just so, so impressive uh, and, and so interesting that you've be always and constantly been juggling so many interests and so many activities um, and um, and how you've kind of pursued both of these um, kind of your law professional development and your kind of netball um, enjoyment into into a professional into a professional route and it's um it's it's also really interesting how you talked about having the couple of hours on court um and the space you got from that could you just tell us a little more about that please yeah of course I think for me and I guess this is like anybody that has something they really enjoy doing a hobby or, or a sport that they enjoy doing it was just a complete release from everything else that was going on in the world. So I would literally put on my trainers and step into the sports hall. And for two hours or an hour, whatever it was, I literally didn't think. And that sounds silly when you think, well, you're playing sport at the highest level. You must have thought about something to do with the sport or the tactics or the, the techniques involved. Well, actually, I didn't. Um, I, I was very fortunate that I was naturally able to 
I guess, translate all of my previous athletic experience onto the netball court fairly easily. So netball came really easily to me. It wasn't something I had to learn to do. It wasn't particularly um, taxing. It was just, it just felt right. And for that time, no matter what was going on, you know, if I had exams that were happening at university or I had a particular challenge at home or something really bad had happened, I just found netball to be the place that I could forget it and just enjoy being active, enjoy not being in my head, um, which I'm sure like many academics or people in general that are high achieving, you spend a lot of time in your own head thinking about, you know, how to continue to be high achieving. And I didn't in that space. And I really enjoyed it. I look back now and I go, actually, gosh, what a great thing that I was able to do to have some time to just be present and not be thinking about the future or the past or the challenges that I was going through. And so it was a real release from that perspective. Thanks, Sarah. Um, so that's interesting The, um, the to talk about being able to kind of escape, switch off, be, to be present. And I'm just really tempted to invite Sam to comment here, but also in particular, uh, because he's um, offline, outside of these recordings, Sam always complains that we don't give him enough opportunity to talk about flow. <laughs> so, Sam, you have a formal invitation if you feel it's appropriate to talk about the theory of flow to do so now and uh, to just kind of comment about the way Sarah talked about her net netball on the court experience. Yeah, thanks, Betty. Well, I, I don't know whether flow's completely appropriate right now, but we can certainly get into some of that. see, never. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, it's fascinating to, to, to hear the way you describe the participation side of playing netball, right? So my background sport, um, played football to a very high level, similar kind of dynamic for me, you know, in terms of that, because of the physicality of it and because you you can't really afford to to be thinking about anything but being present in in whether it be training whether it be uh playing a match whatever it is and that for me is certainly something i miss now you know that level of immersion and i wonder whether you could tell me a little bit about that in terms of the experience of playing netball and you talked about the the release and the escape but what, what particularly about that it, it, it draws you in? And obviously now we'll get into this a little bit more, but obviously you've come full circle and gone back into that, albeit on the side of that. And you've never wholly let go of that, clearly, in terms of you know keeping the coaching going on the side, but you've professionally you've stepped outside of all of that and you've pursued law education and you know and a, a separate professional development kind of journey, if you like. But what is it that's kept you in? What is it about the sport? What is it about what you get from the sport that's that's drawn you in and kept you kept you engaged? It's a really good question. Um, for me, I think it's it, it helped shape me as a person. So starting at eighteen, in my first year of university, it started to be the place that I got a lot of my. Um, Away from my academic education, I got a lot of my life education in netball. I was going into an environment where I was one of the youngest athletes surrounded by women who had lots of life experience, had traveled the world playing this sport, had, you know, attended lots of different events as part of, of the netball team. And that opened up not only doors for me but opportunities that I would never have had had I not played netball and so it became like a family dynamic you know when you're the youngest in any you know group of people you tend to get taken care of and taken under people's wings and I remember you know people picking up the phone to me and saying you know you're one of us now and we will help you out if you've got any questions or queries let us know and I hadn't experienced that outside of my family in any walk of life at that point so it helped me to grow it helped me to understand a bit more about what life was about I was an only child I didn't have brothers or sisters so I wasn't growing up in an environment where I had other people other than my parents to sort of talk to about things 
and yeah, it really helped shape my my identity. And and I think that's probably why Sam, I haven't stepped away from it because, as I said, that identity has been with me since I was sort of eighteen, and I'm I'm a lot older than that now. I'm thirty eight, so it's definitely shaped the person that I am. And I feel that without it, you know, even now, I don't know what I would be if I wasn't Sarah, the netball coach or the netball athlete, um, because that's probably what I've I've been for a very long time not only in my eyes but in other people's eyes and it is like a family it is like a lifestyle so once you're in it not having it can bring with it some real difficulties and so I've been fortunate enough to transition as I said from being an athlete to a coach fairly smoothly and it's been it would have been quite different I think perhaps if I hadn't had that opportunity yeah that that's Really, really interesting. I'm just there's parallels. I mean, obviously not here to talk about my own journey, but I actually completely walked away from from football in the end of it. I, I was just exhausted with how much of me it took to to get to the level that I was at. Um, and when it came to to going to university, I was a bit older, um, and it was it was about refinding what it was that made it enjoyable for me you know so it was actually for me it was about refinding myself refinding you know and, and you talk about growth there you know for me it was just remembering what it was to to enjoy but then through that obviously got back into i've i've played different sports i've done different things um but what you've got there you know it's it's talking about it from from a, a, a serious ledger perspective if you like you know, there's a, you've talked about a clear sense of identity. You know, there's identity work going on there. Uh, and you've never wholly let that go. That's a big part of who you are. Uh, and we'll talk about how that and translates into what you can do in your current job and what, you know, obviously it's an obvious um, transition back into that world when you're taking on your your, your national lead role. Um, but you've talked there about the, the importance and the significance for you in your own development of that unique social ethos and world of netball and that's another key characteristic of of serious leisure what we're talking about here when we're talking about sport in the context of serious leisure we're talking about activity participation there's obviously you're developing certain core skills that are unique to that particular context and environment but in these cases the social world and the ethos that develops around that is different for different sports i've also played rugby very different to football you know and you know, the, the, you can see the differences there, whereas obviously netball, again, is very unique in, in terms of what it offers. But what I hear in that as well is this nurturing quality of that social world. You talked about, you know, you're 18, there are older uh, women playing the sport that were taken under the wing and, and you were learning from them. And we've talked in this podcast before about this idea of life-wide learning, you know, and the importance of those types of contexts and circumstances for developing a, a broader sense of who we are. Um, you know, and, and very often in, in other podcasts, we've heard about people finding themselves within those particular pursuits. So I wonder whether, you've, whether you feel that's the case for you, you know, whether, you know, the idea of fit, you know, this is where I'm maybe supposed to be in um in terms of but then you didn't you never really know do you so when we start out on these journeys it's well i'll, I'll give this a go I'll, I'll take it a bit more seriously at university and see where it takes me and then all of a sudden you're hooked because of the things you were talking about there but but i wonder whether you could talk a little bit more about this idea of identity because i think that's going to be our bridge into other things and when we talk about identity from a serious leisure perspective, it's you know you identify strongly with the core pursuit, which is the playing of netball, but also the social world and ethos within that social world. But what is it about that? You know, the identity work that's important for you. What is it? What does it say about you? And maybe what are, what are the biggest things you've learned about yourself through netball? A couple of big questions there. Yeah, I think the identity part of it is, um, particularly for me, you know, I came from a background where I grew up on a council estate. I have a single parent family and mixed race. Um, so I had different challenges probably to some of my friends who had two parent households, 
were white, um, had more affluent backgrounds. And it was it was really important, I think, for me to go from that place to university in the first place. So getting to university was a big achievement for me. I was first in my family to do it um, and I had to have lots of support um, to, to do that. And then I think I got to university and I started to meet people who looked like me, who um, sounded like me, who had backgrounds that were similar to mine. And I started to feel it was in Cardiff, by the way, I went to uh, it was UIC at the time, but it's Cardiff Met now. And I just felt like I'd come home. I felt like I'd gone from being in a, a valley's town in Wales to a big city. And I felt like I was much more at home and I was much more comfortable with myself. And then the next step of that was finding people that, you know, were like me because I was a fairly strong person anyway. I was fairly resilient and I knew that. I knew what it took to get out of where I was. And I mean that in the, the most um, positive sense. It's not that where I grew up was a terrible place. It was just that a lot of the people I grew up with had only ever lived in that place. They'd never left that place. They'd never travelled. They'd never had jobs that were different to the jobs they got when they were in school and it was very much a case of you know young people having children because their parents were young when they had them and I just felt a little bit like that wasn't what I wanted for some reason it, I wanted something different and so getting to university was the starting point of that for me and then being athletically gifted gave me I guess the springboard to be able to do all of the things I'd always wanted to do which is to travel be well educated, meet good people, be well rounded. And I feel like, you know, I'm so grateful that Netball gave me those opportunities. And therefore I think my identity is is, as I said, very much shaped because of those experiences that I absolutely would not have had had I just gone to university and not pursued netball in the way that I did. Um, I think you learn very quickly when you go to you know, I was 18 and I, I knew very little about life, but I had to learn fairly quickly because at 18 and a half, I was traveling to Jamaica. I'd never had a passport before. I'd never been abroad. I had to abide by the rules of the association. I had to act in a certain way. I had to role model. There were people now that were looking at me as this person who had this amazing opportunity. And I had to back that up with my behaviors and my my sort of way of being and that changed that was a shift you know wasn't used to that but I embraced it because I recognized that that would be helpful um in shaping me as a person I it was a lot of responsibility um I had to be extra resilient because you know there were lots of the time that I got selected was around Commonwealth Games time and there was lots in the press about our squad and about the Wales Commonwealth Games squad and various bits and pieces and you just had to learn a lot a lot in a short space of time um I think the yeah definitely the the coaches that I had were brilliant so I had really good role models that taught me things and um showed me the way when I got a little bit lost because I think one of the things I've recognized now as a coach is that when you've got a talented youngster you have to manage their expectations you have to work with them to keep them grounded but support them to go on that journey and at points uh, I'll be honest I wasn't as grounded as I probably needed to be and um, I needed that I needed some a strong person a strong female in my life saying hang on a minute now let's let's get back to basics this is about a bigger picture and if you go down this path you may not get the opportunity again to, to come back from it and so again that I was really grateful for that aspect of it. Someone looking out for me that was a, a person that I respected greatly. Um, and I think now, yeah, there were points and, and where you're saying, Sam, about your own experiences in football, there were points where I, I felt, you know, it was, it was a lot. I'd given a lot of my time, a lot of my life to netball. And to, certainly towards the end of my playing career, I recognise now I got injured. Um, I had an ACL tear, which kept me out of a, a Commonwealth Games in Glasgow but I think at that point my body and my mind were kind of telling me it's time to stop I was 32 I'd been doing it since I was 18 I'd not had a season out before that it was constant netball constant training and I think I probably was burnt out a little bit with the sport because I dedicated I'd given everything I'd you know everything I did was about netball I had I had a full-time job at the time but I was playing netball training 
I was coaching as well. I was studying. And I think it got to the point when I retired that I was glad that I was retiring from playing, but worried about, okay, what else am I going to do? And it was just a conversation that happened that allowed me to step into the coaching space. But that I, I probably kept going for a year or two longer than I should have which is why I got an injury and why I started to feel burnt out because I didn't have a plan for what I was going to do afterwards. And that worried me because everything I'd known, everything I was about, every person I knew that I trusted was related to netball. My friends were netball players. I didn't have friends that were outside of the sport. Um, Everyone knew me as a netball player. Everywhere I went, if I had an interview, they would say, oh, you play netball. And I would talk about that more than I would talk about the interview itself. People I met always said, oh, Sarah, the netball player. And I was worried about not having that. And so I kept doing it for a little bit longer than I probably should have. Um, so I can definitely identify with what you're saying about that sort of burnout and, and wanting to get out of the sport. But for me, it came with that worry that, oh, gosh, if there's nothing else, does that mean I lose a part of me? And and I think that was why I, I worked so hard academically to have something else. And I thought that would be being a, a, a law academic. But there was still that gulf, and, and that's where coaching came in. Thanks, Sarah. Um, well, here comes a cheeky question, um, ha having done the, the, the deep scholarly discussion. So you talked about uh, not wanting to let go of your netball identity. Uh, and I wonder how you feel about letting go of your deputy head of department academic law identity. Um, and, and how those two ideas compare in, in your mind, in your head? Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, for me, it, there was a, you know, definite interest in law. I wanted to do it. I was passionate about it. It was something different from sport. And um, I've been really grateful to have the opportunities that I've had, um, you know, working in great law schools and great universities and, um, various other projects I've been involved in. I am, I am really not sure at the moment about how I feel about letting that part of me go um, because I'm just sort of processing. I think um, what that might mean to me because I've I've worked in academia for over a decade and I've always had netball as a side thing so I've never gone full-time netball playing or coaching I always had academia or something else that I was focused on that was my day job I am fortunate I think that I teach uh, sports law and intellectual property law so they're my subject areas which lend themselves quite nicely to be a high performance coach because a lot of the stuff I'll be teaching in sports law will be around anti-doping contractual issues image rights governance issues ethical issues to do with the sport and then the IP side of things is very much about you know wearable technology patents copyright trademarks which are all things that that flow through sport and particularly professional sport so I'm I'm able to to use that I guess to my advantage in my my high performance sport role but I don't know. I honestly don't know how I'm feeling about letting the academic side of things go. I've been in that as long as I've, you know, been doing netball. So they've always gone hand in hand and I've never done one without the other. So it'll be a real interesting change for me to just have the one focus. And I think probably part of the reason why I'm doing this now is because juggling two things at this level is really challenging. And I think for my own sanity and well-being I probably needed to make a decision at some point was I going to be staying in academia and pursuing this and not doing netball or was I going to take the leap into netball full-time and say goodbye to academia and that's where I'm at now. Okay so much in that so let me start with it's interesting isn't it because the the sport element whilst there might well have been you know from the outside looking in people might think well full-time athlete professional athlete well actually you weren't you were by definition an amateur athlete because you were having to work alongside that and that's very much you know a misconception sometimes where people think well obviously you're going off to the commonwealth games you're playing at an international level you're, you're clearly a professional athlete it's not it's not how it happens 
uh, particularly in certain sports. You know, football very different in that sense, but you know, certainly in your sport, that's that's not always the case. Um, but I wonder then, because you're saying about letting go of aspects of your own identity, you know, and that's that's problematic for everybody. But what is it that the academic role gave you that your netball role didn't? So obviously, this it's a meshwork of different identity facets here. I'm just really interested. So you're saying like it's about time I let go of one to concentrate on the other. But I'm just wondering what's kept you in the game in the sense of you know the academic role for so long. Because I think we could all obviously empathize with the you know the academic role, but I'm just interested for you from your perspective, having made that decision to step away, what's kept you here for so long? Yeah, I think it comes back to the fact that you know my sport and many others are not but they are now I mean when I was playing you could not make a living playing netball very different now you can you can be a full-time netball athlete and make a very good living out of it that wasn't the case when I started um I started to earn money um when I was probably in my late 20s and that was great because I hadn't had that in my early uh, career so I always knew that and, and I learned quite quickly, as I said, from one of the things I think I, I was, even as a youngster, was somebody who picked up on things quite early on and quite quickly recognised what I had to do. And I saw athletes that were older than me in their sort of mid to late 30s exiting the game with no options because they hadn't had an education beyond school. They hadn't pursued other interests. They'd given everything to netball. And I kind of in the sense of the way, the same way I talked to you about knowing I had to get to university to, to, to be where I wanted to be, I also then quickly realised I need to have something else other than netball to pay the bills, number one, and to um, give me a career post-netball. So I was, I was aware of the difficulties of transitioning out of sport for a lot of the people that were my idols that I looked up to that had, you know, really glittering netball careers, travelled the world, they get injured at 34 and there's nothing. The door is closed. There's nobody picking up the phone. There's no options. And so I knew I needed to pursue something else, which is why I thought, right, let's pursue my law degree. Let's do my master's in law. So I know when I finish the sport, if I don't get an opportunity as a coach, I can at least go into academia. I can, or I was at one point deciding whether I wanted to be a solicitor or a barrister. Um, so I knew I had something else. Um, what I also think for me is I was particularly academic. So I did really well in school. I did really well in A-levels. I got a first in um, my degree. Um, I got really good results with everything that I did. And I felt a little bit like, and this is no disrespect to anybody that, that coaches full-time um, or is an athlete full-time, It did sport didn't challenge me in all of the ways that I needed to be challenged. And so being an academic allowed me to use a different part of my brain, I guess, that requires some different stimulus. And I was really, uh, really interested in reading the law. I was interested in cases. I was really, I enjoyed doing that. I enjoyed studying for my degrees. And so I found the one thing that netball didn't give me was that ability to challenge my brain and challenge myself in a different capacity and I really needed that as to be the complete person I guess and that's why I've done both for so long and why I've stayed in academia and why I've progressed in academia um, I guess because it, it was just something that I wasn't getting when I was doing my sport the challenges of sport are very different to the challenges of being in a university environment you know being a researcher, being a people manager, being an academic, I wasn't having those same challenges in netball. And I really did enjoy those challenges. And in the same way I say netball was a nice aside from the academic life, there were times when netball was really difficult. You know, whether you're injured or you're um, away at a competition and you're not doing particularly well or times are tough for whatever reason, actually I found academia then became really enjoyable because I could forget netball for a little bit go into the office do some teaching meet with my staff and not worry about Sarah the netball player and so the two really complemented each other and still do um, and I got a lot more out of the academic side of things because I had that 
ability to step away when netball became difficult in the same way I got loads out of netball stepping away from academia and work when that became difficult um, and that's why I've done both and also I think there are limited amount of coaching jobs you know within um, the UK there are four home nations there are four head coaches and there are eight Super League teams and the Super League is on Sky Sports. Um, it's now increased, I think, to 11 this season. So there are only 15 head coaches in my sport in the UK. So there, there is no guarantee that if you take one of those jobs that you're going to be in it in two years time. So I was always aware as well how um, ruthless sport is and you're only as good as your last game as a coach. So I even now I'm thinking, God, I'm going into it full time. Um, but I've still got one eye on, you know, if it doesn't work out, I will come back to academia and I will be able to pick that up, um, I hope, um, at whatever point. OK, I just, want to, I just want to make the observation here that I love the fact that academia is your fallback. That's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Because uh, for many, this is this is not the case. Um, but but yeah, I, I, I absolutely get that in terms of the, you know, Pet is going to come in in a minute, but that kind of what, you know, the give and the take of it all. You know, certainly parallels with me. I knew there was more to life than playing sport, playing football. Um, that was something I knew from probably 15, 16, my early engagement with the sport. And I was probably, the, that was my point of difference and a point of tension at the time. We have, you know, we're similar ages. So in terms of back in the day, education wasn't something that was particularly valued in the development and nurturing of, of young athletes. I was academically minded and therefore it was something that I knew I wasn't going to let go, A-levels and the like. Uh, but in the end, it was to the, my detriment in the development of the sport. So, you know, the fact that you've you've done what you've done, you've had those parallel kind of paths, I think it's testament to your own. Um, and I've written down here, you know, there's an attitude and orientation that you have to your own professional development, which is which is very, very positive in the sense that you, you've tried to develop that rounded person and you've you've then let you know you've lent on the sport and the academia side of that as and when you've needed to and I think that's a really really interesting um journey in that sense because you know for many of us it's, it's either or it's not both and I think that's that's really really interesting but we haven't got the time to really deep dive into that so I know Petty wants to come in there thanks Sam um so there is this idea of push and pull factor, Sarah, uh, when you move towards something. The, the idea is what um, what's pulls you forward, what attracts you and what pushes you away. Um, and and in the, in, you're very clear about what attracted you to your law career, what attracted you to your netball career and your coaching career. But when you make a, 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 a life-changing decision that you move from one role to another, there is also the factors that, that push you away from your current role. Uh, and I was wondering, in view that you're thinking you might one day come back to an academic career, I was wondering what, what, whether you have considered some, some of the factors that have helped your decision to move away from an academic role to a different type of professional role. If you want to tell us a little about that. Of course, I think what I probably um, not great at is giving myself an easy time. So what I what I found, certainly, you know, being an academic and being a deputy head of department and working my way up. So when I started in academia, I was just an associate lecturer doing hourly paid work. I then got a, a lecturer post, senior lecturer, program leader, um, the equivalent of associate head of department and then moving to deputy head of department and you know having opportunities to go to head of department if I wanted but not not taking them so for me I think I have a personality type that is all or nothing so I'm if I decide to do a job or a particular activity or project I give it 110 percent so I really do put the pressure on myself and I think there's a there is a little bit of perfectionism that comes in and there is sometimes no end point to that pressure that you put on yourself and I find I was doing that as an associate lecturer it's nothing to do with the job title that I have it's my standards and my expectations of myself and I find that 
in an academic it's not just in the academic field because I have experiences in other fields but certainly in academia I find that the better you are at your job the more you take on because people realize that you're good and they give you more projects and they ask you to be involved in more things and you do those well and then it's kind of like a ripple effect that goes out and I certainly at points in my academic career found myself working evenings weekends on the bus to netball on a flight um waking up at night at 2am writing down things that I I've forgotten to do or that I need to do so I feel like my personality type and the requirements and the demands now of being academia are such that it, it really is difficult to get away from that perfectionism and really difficult to get that work-life balance. Hi Sarah I am fascinated with listening to the discussion so far I wonder I was so struck by your description of yourself as maybe having that that perfectionistic whiff and I was actually feeling quite exhausted just listening to your whole mindset and while exhausted and inspired I kind of leaning the two ways and I wondered um how is it that in this context that you've described you're going into this um new expression of your career how are you going to take time for yourself because <laughs> this podcast is often about how we try and keep that work-life balance and how we recharge our batteries. Um, and I'm, it seems to me to be quite a challenge to do that with this um, highly driven personality that you've talked about, Sarah. And I think that's very common in academia. And I think what you've talked about is absolutely true as well. The more you do, then the more you, um, the more work on your plate. Um, how are you going to take time for yourself to recharge and uh, make sure that you don't just burn yourself out with your incredibly high achieving personality? Again, a really good question. I think for me, I've learned that I need to um, have downtime and I need to have time away from what I'm doing. Essentially, I'm a very introverted person, so I don't thrive off being around other people. And I actually find that I need to recharge after I've been, you know, in a group, whether that's in a netball setting or in a work setting. And I actually really like being alone and having my own quiet time. I like to sit and just read a book or um, go for a walk. I, I don't have, um, you know, this personality type that requires me to be on the go all of the time um so I've learned over the years I did I've actually done some mindfulness I did a mindfulness course because I recognized as you, you've rightly pointed out that there is no way one person can be you know a full-time athlete study work uh, coach um run a department without getting exhausted at some point and so I think again you know recognizing in myself where I need to bring that in and, and having the tools to be able to do that so you know I'm fairly proactive with it I, I have done mindfulness courses I've spoken to counselors I've drawn on all the support from my family and friends and I think recognizing that you need that headspace is really important managing it and getting it in is challenging but I try to um, have pockets of time where I don't have my phone on uh, I don't I don't have any social media so I don't I don't access any of that I haven't for three or four years now I don't find it useful I only hang out with people that I really enjoy being with I don't surround myself with anybody that gives me any headaches or stress I used to when I was younger I used to tolerate a lot of people um, I don't now. I have a very small circle of friends and family that I spend time with. I make time for them and I make time for myself. And I'm for, when I finish at UWE, I'm actually taking a month off before I start my new job. So I won't actually be going from one to the other. I will be having a complete break from both. And I will then be stepping, I hope, recharged into this new role. So, you know, it's a real challenge. I, I didn't allow myself to have that downtime in my early career. But as I started to recognise the detriment that that was, you know, the effect that was having on me, I started to read about it. You know, I read and I listen to podcasts, which I enjoy uh, around, um, you know, how we can help ourselves and improve our well-being. So I think I have a lot of tools I can draw on. And I'm, I'm certainly very aware of the fact that you could easily, I think at one point I did get close to burnout. And that was a signal for me to, OK, take control of it and draw on some support so that this never happens again. 
and I'm grateful that it hasn't. Um, but I'm also aware that, you know, it's it's always going to be there. I'm never not going to be a perfectionist. So I need to manage this. Yeah, that's really, really interesting. So it's not necessarily a question because I think you probably answered it quite comprehensively with your responses there. But, that, you know, we were I was just thinking there, at what point does this personality that you are, you know, in terms of that 110 percent in everything you do? And I can absolutely I think we, we're all in the same space there, you know, academia for me has been a space where I've flourished, yes, but it's also taken so much of me in terms of my energy, you know, and to the detriment of relationships and, and everything else. I think that, again, something we've talked about in previous. Uh, so at what point does that become unhealthy, you know, is kind of a thought that I had. And you've, you've, you've mentioned there about having strategies in place that you've learned through your netball as well as through your your work in academia and, and actually what's interesting there I think is you've learned in the juggling of the two you know where those strategies are are most effective for you whether it be taking a step back completely you know being away moving away from social media you know that and the the pressure to perform and I think what you have is you have a high performance mentality and that's applied to your sport, which is obviously going to benefit you in the long term, but you've applied that to your academic 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 journey as well, um, and that I think, from my own kind of perspective, certainly not having operated at the same level as you, but certainly empathising with your mindset, I can find I find that utterly exhausting. I'll be honest, I find it utterly exhausting. It's that well, I don't I don't want to do this if I'm not going to be able to be myself and myself is 110%, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it if I'm going to do it 50%, 40%, even 80%, I'm not doing it. Um, so I end up taking, I'll say yes to everything and then try and do 110% of, you know, probably 40% more than I can possibly take on. Um, so, you know, that, you know, at what point is it, is that unhealthy? I think it's more, it's more an observation on my own kind of reflections on my own, um, on my own kind of, uh, work-life balance there. But I think there's a lot to be said in what you just outlined there in terms of the strategies, but also just a final observation from me is this decision now to take, to go all in on the national role, the coaching. And I think for me, what I've heard in, in, in how you explained your journey and your, and what you what you were all about as a professional is it's the next step for you. You know, it's the so what, now what of where you're at right now. And I, and I think that's that's a really interesting and brave thing to do. I, you know, many of us in academia will just kind of, I, I, I use the word all the time, coasting. You know, you get to a point where you're comfortable you know, you're, you know, there's ritualistic kind of practice around the various elements of what you do on a day to day basis. You know, you're you're venturing into whilst you know it from a, an athletic perspective, a player's perspective, you're walking into a world where, you know, there's going to be all manner of different challenges that you've already outlined. So a, it's brave, but also B, I get the feeling and you can give me a very short response to this, whether whether it uh, whether it's it is about that next step. You know, in terms of that identity work and the journey that you've been so articulate in in outlining. Final thought. I think, and it sounds strange, but I knew when I fell in love with netball. At some point, I said to myself, "You will be the national coach because that's the next thing." You know, it's it's about this achievement, isn't it? So it's not good enough to be the the player. It's not good enough to be the captain. You also have to be the coach. So I think I've always had this vision of myself at some point in my life doing this full time it's come earlier than I would have liked I thought I would do it in my 40s or 50s it's come in my 30s and yeah it, it, it is something that I think is again reflecting my personality in wanting to achieve something else in my sport in a completely different guise which gives me a different identity because I have I have been known as Sarah the netball player I will now be known as Sarah the coach and that's a different facet that nobody has explored in too much depth so far. So I'm hoping that it goes well. But I think the final thing that I'll say on it is I will only hold this role. It's not going to be the role that I will hold for the rest of my life. My time as an international coach is limited and rightly so. And so I will, even in this role, be looking probably at one eye on the next thing um, because 
at no point can I just go, okay, that's it. And the next thing may be, you know, just coming back and being a lecturer doesn't have to be deputy head of department. Um, but I think it's, again, just, I'll never quite let go that little bit of me that will be forward looking and thinking, you know, what what's next? What comes after this? But I think it's the right time. I think I could not, not con- continue to manage two high profile, quite demanding roles. And I'm looking forward to it. Thank you, Sarah. This is uh, so fascinating. You almost criticized yourself there for achieving too soon. <laughs> mentioned about <laughs> stepping into this row in your 30s not 40s or 50s as you, as you were planning um this is um as usual such an interesting conversation but also such a different conversation to the kinds of conversations we've had and i think for future podcasts it would be really good to unpack the the idea of perfectionism because there's some really interesting literature on the topic of perfectionism that, that's that's coming out in psychology and sociology that was, might be really good good for us to unpack as as a podcast um you are such an inspiring guest to have um and possibly such an awe-inspiring guest to have um uh, it's been really a pleasure to hear about your story and the way you think and the way you've approached your different professional development areas um and 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 also your life and, and kind of balancing and making space for for some self-care in the middle of a very ambitious way of thinking about yourself and your future career so i'm very grateful for your time um for making time to squeeze this conversation just before you leave yui um so, so i'm really grateful grateful to you for that um i'm also of course grateful to our regular contributors um sam elkington and cat branch um, and of course uh, for today in the background we've had uh, julia denman who is kindly recording Um, and and will be helping with some of the initial editing and managing of this episode. Goodbye, everyone. Until next time, when we continue to talk about leisure, work and well-being and what we can all do to engage with leisure seriously. Goodbye.